What does it take to be a top performing entrepreneur? Welcome to Inspiring Business Success, a podcast sponsored by Insperity, where we'll explore areas of entrepreneurial success and extraordinary professional performance. There is an abundance of good performers, but what about exceptional performance? This season, we will be exploring the defining characteristics of exceptional performers in business and in life. Inspiring Business Success is sponsored by Insperity. Insperity provides human resources solutions that make a difference in the success equation for the best small and medium-sized businesses. If you want to know more, go to insperity.com. Are you ready to reach new heights in your performance? Let's go to the studio now with Larry Schaefer, Senior Vice President of Marketing at Insperity, Dr. David Cook, author, speaker, and well-known sports psychologist, and Doug Tatum, author, professor, and entrepreneur. So we are really embarking here on the final pillar, the fourth pillar, which is choosing to have a noble heart. So in your pursuit of excellence, in your achievement of attaining the lofty goals that we've spoken of, David, you're advocating that you do it with a noble heart. So tell us a little bit more about that and give us some practical application. Choosing a noble heart. What a great word. You know, it's, it's an old world, it's an old world word being noble. It means, and it was always about doing something to, to enhance the country, the person, the family, the whatever. It was always about doing something brave or heroic that would help someone else. When I talk about choosing a noble heart, it reminds me of this, this story. I've, I've spoken throughout this series about Scott Huffman, the, the great pole vaulter that, that overcame, you know, doubt and injury and became an Olympian and his teammate that had 32 stitches in his head and, and ended up winning the national indoor championship. And now's the end to the story. I, I can't stop this series without sharing with you all this most incredible story of these two young men that grew up vaulting together and loving each other and, and pursuing the same dream, the same Olympics together. And so now let's look at what happened at the Olympic trials when Scott was there having been injured through the year and Pat there after being injured in the year. And now they're at the Olympic trials in a situation that they both have to handle. So Pat's there warming up. Scott's not there. He's in the broken down bus somewhere and is going to be an hour late. So Pat's kind of wondering where Scott is, but Pat's there and he takes his first attempt and warm up. His pole breaks again. It's only this, you know, the second time he broke a pole in his life. And this is, you know, a couple months after the first one. And this time the bottom of the pole misses his head and he flies off the back of the mats in a cloud of dust and they pick him up and check him out and he's okay. But my goodness, with all of the all of the stuff going on, he's now got another broken pole, and he goes over and looks at his reserve poles, and he notices something. There's a tire tread mark across his other poles, and what has happened is that the baggage claim guy at the airport had run over his poles, compromising them all, and he is out of the Olympic trials, his opportunity to go to the Olympics because of something out of his control Unless, you see, there's another person in the event that has the same kind of poles and also weighs about the same amount 
and there's only one person of all of those in the meet that have the same kind of poles, and it's Scott, his friend, Scott Huffman. Scott's lost somewhere. Pat's kind of looking around for him, worried about him not being here. And as the event begins to start, you know, Pat's basically about to have to say, I can't jump. And in comes Scott with his, you know, pain in his leg and lost, you know, in the bus. And they get here late and he's got to take two run-throughs and everything's out of whack. And he comes in and he sees Pat's face and Pat sees his. And Pat doesn't even know if he can ask him this, but... Scott says, what's going on? He said, I broke a pole. And he, wow, whoa, what happened? He says, the baggage claim guy ran over my poles and I'm out. Unless I can borrow your pole. And without missing a beat, Scott said, yes, you can borrow my pole. Well, what you need to understand about these guys is they tape them, they chalk them, they spray them differently. They don't like the way each other, you know, um, prepares their pole for each vault and they're going to be jumping right after each other and they're going to have to now bring that interference point into the most important point in their life the the last olympic trials but for scott his friendship his brotherhood and the importance of that overcame his fear of well what if he makes it on my pole what if what if he gets my dream and i don't that was not in scott's head and here's what happened. Two hours later, the announcer comes on in the Olympic Trial Stadium and says, we have one vaulter left with his final attempt. If we can have your attention in the vault. Pat Manson is up. If he makes this vault, he becomes the final Olympian on the vaulting team. If he misses, Scott Huffman becomes the final Olympian on the vault team. And no one in the stadium outside of Scott and Pat understood that Pat was jumping on Scott's pole. And Pat barely misses the attempt, and Scott becomes the Olympian on that day. And when I share this story, what I want us to understand is what an example of selfless exceptionalism. Scott was willing to give up his ultimate dream on the last day that he would ever compete if Pat made it because the love of brotherhood in his friend was more important to him than being selfish and saying, no, you can't use my pole. That's an example of selfless exceptionalism. And let me finish with this one. That, that, that's an incredible story. And this one was another one that, that I'll never forget. David Robinson was the spur, the admiral, the leader of the team when I got there. And Tim Duncan comes in the next year. And Tim is, you know, the young superstar, you know, the best player in college basketball history maybe comes in and David flies Tim out to Aspen where he's going to meet him once he became part of the team and he invited me to come with him and I got to listen in on this conversation when David told Tim that his goal had changed he said Tim you need to know my goal is to prepare you to be the next leader of this team that is my job, and that is my goal, and I want you to feel free to emerge as the leader of the San Antonio Spurs. My goal is to make you really, really good, to share with you, to open the door to all that I know, and to bring you along at whatever pace it is. You're the future of the San Antonio Spurs. 
I'm telling you, friends, <laughs> I have never heard anything like that in sport or, you know, life almost. Because in that sport, everybody, by the points they score, the averages they have, and whatever category it is, they're all trying to be an all-star, get a bigger contract, or whatever it is. And David's biggest goal was the team aspect and making his new teammate feel comfortable and free to become a superstar and to become a leader. They played another seven years together, and I watched them as they grew together, and they were both all-stars each of those years, so that didn't really matter. And when David retired, and long before David retired, Tim became not the verbal leader of the team, but just the quiet, amazing man that he is, leader of the San Antonio Spurs as they continued to win. They won two world championships together, and then Tim won two or three more after that. What an amazing thing. Again, the example here is selfless exceptionalism, making those around us better. So when you do win that world championship, as David and Tim hugged and cried on the stage together, David knew this was the most fulfilling thing that he had ever done because he was bigger than the selfishness of me winning something alone. And it would go and continue with him forever because he knew his legacy was living through his friend, Tim Duncan. And the same thing with Pat and Scott, and they're still best friends. That's, that's where we want to go as people, as achievers, as competitors, as business owners, as husbands and wives, significant others, selfless exceptionalism. That's where we need to be aspiring. I want to thank you for joining us on this first season of Inspiring Business Success. And I also hope you enjoyed Dr. David Cook and Doug Tatum. And you are taking to heart the key principles of extraordinary performance. Focus, passion, mental toughness, and a noble heart. And feel free to go back and listen to any episode again when you're ready for a refresher to drive you on to even greater success. Stay tuned over the next couple months as we will have bonus episodes that will come your way, as well as season two of Inspiring Business Success, where we'll focus on entrepreneurial innovation and scaling your business to new heights. Thank you very much. And once again, thank you for listening to Inspiring Business Success.